It's Mental Health Awareness Month, which focuses on sparking deeper conversations and action around mental health issues. One program in Alaska has done just that for more than 20 years, the Alaska Therapeutic Court System. Instead of sending people to prison for some felonies or misdemeanors, a team of people helps them heal. Today on Talk of Alaska, we'll learn about how the wellness courts work and how they've helped people rebuild their lives. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by ConocoPhillips, investing in oil exploration and production and working to create economic opportunities for Alaskans. ConocoPhillips, unlocking Alaska's energy resources. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Hearts Native Helpline is a free 24-7 confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Alaska Natives. Help is available by calling or texting 1-844-7-NATIVE or using the chat icon at strongheartshelpline.org. This message is sponsored by the Strong Hearts Native Helpline. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I'm your host, Ann Hillman. Today, we're talking about Alaska's therapeutic court system, which provides an alternative to the traditional court process for people with mental health issues, substance use disorders, or both. Our guest today in studio is James Huffstetler, a mental health court alumni. And then over Zoom, we're joined by Judge Pamela Washington, who presides over the program, the mental health court, and Ron Wilson and Steve Corvin who graduated from other wellness court programs and oversee the alumni organization. Thank you all very, very much for joining us. And our phone lines are open. What questions do you have about therapeutic courts and the alternatives they provide? Let us know by calling us at 1-800-478-8255 statewide. That's 1-800-478-8255. And locally here in Anchorage, you can call 907 550-8422. You can also send us an email at talk at alaskapublic.org. So, Judge Washington, I'd love if you could kick us off by just giving us an overview of what the therapeutic court system is and why it is. Um, Thank you so much for inviting me to join you in this discussion. Um, I'm very passionate about Um, the public getting to understand a little bit more about the therapeutic courts, particularly the mental health court, which is a coordinated resource project court. Um, I love talking about it. One of my colleagues, um, Judge um, Stephanie Rhodes, um, she was the person who started this court. uh, At the time, only one of three in the nation, um, the mental health court um, back in 1999. And the purpose really was to try to divert um, misdemeanors, and of course now we do felonies as well, um, from the criminal justice process, people that are having mental health issues that bring them into the criminal justice system. And we wanted to do that because it would be inappropriate incarceration of people with mental disabilities. Um, we didn't want to, we want to leave some of the burden on the Department of Corrections, which um, is probably the, the largest provider of mental health services, which it shouldn't be. Um, and we wanted to um, also reduce the repeated criminal activity of people 
who are really not connected to services. And so, um, and that's why we have a treatment team approach to try to connect people who are having mental health crises um, to providers in the community, either for their medications, uh, for treatment. Um, we also do a lot of pro-social activities because a lot of our, um, our um, participants, um, I always say they've been basically kicked off the island. Um, their families have just sort of don't know what to do and they've thrown up their hands and trying to figure out what their options are. And I think now, I mean, so many more years later, more people are aware of the issues and are really um, uh, proponents of trying to um, get services in place or interventions in place that could stop the sort of rush of incarcerating people with mental health issues that really should not be um, in custody. And so I've been involved with this court for all of my 12 years on the bench. And, um, and I'm excited that uh, we survived the pandemic. Uh, we were able to provide services, you know, trying to get our participants to be online for some of their treatment programs. Um, our court has a treatment team approach. And so we have um, probation officers, we call them therapeutic court um, probation officers that are helping our um, participants navigate the process from treatment. Um, sometimes they have to do um, certain kind of pro-social groups but we really want them to sort of get connected, have a plan in place. And so um, we're diverting them completely for the criminal justice system. And when they're successful in our court, and I'm sure we'll hear from James and Steve and Ron about their success, um, the cases can be totally dismissed. The criminal cases can be totally dismissed. And that's what a lot of our participants work for. And it's a long involved process. And we're very proud of them when they're successful um, in reaching that goal. And the reason why it's so important is because we want the community to know that people with mental health issues, it's just like someone with uh, diabetes or high blood pressure. And, and we don't think very much about that, but the stigma related to our participants and, uh, and people who really should be participating but may not want to participate for just the stigma attached to um, acknowledging your mental health uh, services or conditions. Um, and so it really does keep people from really um, getting involved in the court and being open about what they're struggling with until it's really too late. And so we're hoping to change that with programs like this. Um, we're always out in the community explaining to them what the mental health court does. And we really want the community to know. I mean, even with all of us that's on the screen, we've just come through a pandemic. We've been involved with the social justice issues. We watched the George Floyd issue on TV. Everyone is suffering from post-traumatic distress and just, just being alone and isolation and abandonment um, issues. Even the court system is recognizing that and judges are um, encouraged to do wellness checks. We're encouraged to do mindfulness and a lot of breathing activities. And we're all encouraging to take better care of our mental health. And so we want to be available um, to people that are experiencing crises that are bringing them into the criminal justice system. And so I'm, I'm very proud of the work that our team is doing and we hope to continue to do. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing the stories of some of the graduates um, that have come through therapeutic courts and been very successful. As am I, that's a great segue. James, since you went through directly through the specifically the mental health court, I would love it if you could share a bit about your story and, and how you came to be part of that court and what it was like for you. All right. So. Um... I was a Ivy meth user for for several years and and started getting into a lot of trouble, a lot of lot of lot of crime, 
Um, and um, so I was offered the opportunity to go into therapeutic courts, and I accepted that, especially the mental health court. Um, and, uh, you know, basically it changed my life. Um, it was really hard at first. You know, there's a lot of struggles, a lot of barriers, a lot of uh, can I really do this um, type of stuff going on in my head, you know. And, and uh, so, you know, on my last charge, I, I sat in jail for probably about I don't know, 60 days, <clears throat> and um, and well, they put my release plan together, um, and so I went into a transitional home after, up on release, um, I was expected to do UAs, I expected to show up to court, I was expected to uh, uh, attend treatment, which I went to South Central Foundation here in Anchorage, um, it was outpatient, uh, very good program, um, and and. So between the combination of all that, that provided the tools that I needed to be successful. You know, it gave me, it gave me the, the structure that I needed. I needed structure in my life to change. And without the therapeutic courts, without treatment, without those, those key elements, um, I would still be lost. Would, do you think without the, the court structure being there, being like, okay, you have to go to X number of treatments or you have, like, putting very specific requirements in place. Do you think that mm, helped you actually go through and and go go into recovery and go through treatment? Oh, oh, it did. It did. And you could ask Judge Washington because she was my presiding judge. Um, <laughs> there was, in the beginning, I was fighting that the whole way. You know, I have this to do. I have to do this, you know, because I'm expected to meet life on life terms. But I didn't even know what that was. You know, I didn't know. Well, I have to work. I have to do this. And she goes, no, you have to do treatment. You have to do treatment. You have to, you have to attend your classes. And, and we had this um, just this kind of battling back and forth a little bit. And uh, finally she says, nope, that's enough. You're going to go to jail for 24 hours, and I want you to think about it. And that's when the light bulb came on for me. I was like, man, she's right. I have to have my my recovery has to come first, otherwise I have nothing else. And and that's when I spun it, and I I was two feet into recovery and have been ever since. Judge Washington, do you remember that moment with James? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And we we see participants like that because um, a lot of times they just haven't made their mental health and substance abuse issues a priority. And so they want to go about and do other things. And we, we meet people all the time. And we really do try to give them time to get to that place where they're ready to make the change. And so when they see that, even when they're acting up, we're still there. Like, we, it's not over. And so I remember with James that we kept saying, hey, you're going to have to make this a priority, make this a priority. And he was doing some successful things. But we knew just till the next crisis. And so we wanted him to really put his uh, mental health um, deal with his sobriety and those kinds of issues and make it a priority so that he can do all the other things that he wants to do in life um, and not have to wait until he has another crisis. Give him those tools. And, 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 I, and it really, and I don't want putting people in custody. It's one of the last sanctions. That's the last thing. And we call it an incentive. It's almost like it was my last thing that I could do to try to get him to just be ready for this process. And after doing a lot of things that he wasn't very successful at, I went ahead and put him in jail for 24 hours. And it did make a difference. <laughs> but, um, I'm really happy about that. 
Ron, I would love if you would share your story and and talk a little bit about the court process you were involved with, please. Okay. Well, thank you, Anne. And I'll just streamline a synopsis. I actually started uh, drinking alcohol at the age of 15 and did it off and on uh, as a social uh, social thing, as social activity with my friends, just a thing to have fun for 15 years uh, without any incarcerations or legal actions. So at the age of 30, I received my first DUI, and that was in 1996. And uh, the officer was actually looking for somebody else. And so I dismissed that um, arrest as, uh, as, a, as a fluke. And then every three years later, I had an incart, I had an arrest. So in 99, I had my second DUI. I wasn't actually behind the wheel. So I, uh, but somebody had reported they saw me driving. So I dismissed that as wrong place, wrong time. And then the third uh, arrest was a DUI and it was a felony DUI. So I didn't dismiss that as anything except for that I had an alcohol problem because on the third DUI, it made me a felon. A felon then, felon now, and a felon forever. So it really got my attention. I knew that there were things I had to change. I was married, had four kids. I was raising a family, and 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 that incarceration hit me pretty good. And so, um, and the uh, significant part about that is 2002 on that first felony. Any of my uh, net, any of my uh, future arrests were all felonies. I never had a misdemeanor after that. So in 2005. Uh, I had changed one substance for another and started getting more into marijuana and cocaine. And I uh, was arrested in 2005 and was uh, charged with the misconduct involving a controlled substance, mix four. And uh, that one hit. That hit pretty good, but it just didn't get my attention enough to where uh, I had to make some changes. It, it you know, after, after a while, that what I call the sting, the sting of the arrest, it goes away and you just kind of pick up and start back where you left off. And so in 2008, I was uh, pulled over again, and uh, this time I was I was pulled over, but I was on I was on a parole. I was on parole, so I had a parole hold. I couldn't bail out of jail, and so I was stuck and in, incarcerated for four months and lost a business and just about lost my family and everything. That got my attention, and that's when I uh, my attorney had in, uh, had had gotten me into uh, therapeutic courts because at that time I was because of presumptive sentencing guidelines. I was looking at six years. And then at the age of 42, my kids in high school, I knew that something had to change. So that's when I opted into therapeutic court. And had you heard about the therapeutic courts before that, or was that the first time you had popped in into your awareness? I actually heard about it in 2002 on my felony DUI arrest. And I just heard some other inmates talking about it when we were going to court. And uh, they painted a real ugly picture. They said it was tough. It was, uh, it was excruciatingly tough. And at that time, I, th I thought that I could do it on my own. And so it didn't interest me, and nor was it offered to me at that time either. Mm, okay. Um, I'd love to st jump to Steve and then hear from both of you kind of like what your process, like what the court process was like. But Steve, what's, what's a little bit about, about your background? Uh, I was born, hi. I was born and raised here in Alaska, and my family, you know, I'm a product of divorce, and my father was an alcoholic, my mother was an alcoholic, so they, they talk about normal drinkers, uh, normal drinking in my household, people, they drink till they get drunk, they have fights and stuff like that. So that's how I was raised, and I managed to live a pretty good life in spite of all that. But later in life, I did start 
getting charges. I, I got charges. I got, you know, like Ron did, I got a, I got a DUI, then figured, well, that's a fluke. So the first one you always think is it's a, it's a mistake. It's a fluke. It, and then I got another one and I was like, well, I can't let this happen again. Then you get, then I got a third DUI in 2017 and I, I woke up in jail thinking my life was over because that's a felony. And then I was like, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my girlfriend. And I was embarrassed about the fact that it had happened. So I actually, I didn't call anybody. I didn't do anything. I just stayed in jail and uh, I was in there for two weeks. And that's how I heard about the therapeutic court. You know, I'm, I'm downtown in AJ, uh, Anchorage jail and Sally's cellmates are cycling in and out. And one of the guys is in there and he starts, and we start talking and he tells me that he's in this therapeutic court. And I said, what's that? And he tells me about it and he tells me, and I said, that sounds great. I said, tell me more. Cause that's the first I heard about it. And uh, he said, well, you can get your license back if you, if you graduate court, you don't have to pay a $10,000 fine. You don't have to go to prison, but it's a really long involved program. It's 18 months. You have to go to, you have to do UAs multiple times randomly. You have to go to court every week and talk in front of the judge. You have to see appeal every week. You have to go to treatment. And I was like, what? I said, Did that, does it help you though? Does it uh, teach you how to live right? and to quit doing this stuff. And he goes, yeah. And I said, I asked him, I said, is it a, what do you think of it? And he said, he thought about it for a minute. He goes, I think it's a really good program. And that, that begs the question. I said, well, well, what are you doing back in jail? And he goes, well, I'm here on a remand, much like what they, what James was talking about. Mm -hmm. He had had, he had relapsed a couple of times. And then the judge, sent him back to jail for a 48 hour remand. And he said that was to give him, uh, that's, I think that's really their last option before kicking him out. That's to, that's for him to decide whether that's where he wants to be or whether he wants to be in the therapeutic court program. And that's how I heard about it. Once I heard about it, I did everything I could to get into the program. And once I got into the program, I, 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 I realized that was the place for me. What what about it fit so well? Like, why did it feel like the place for you? Well, first of all, it was really hard to get in. And I was discouraged by lawyers. I, mean, I talked to a lawyer and he said, you don't want to do that. He goes, that's way too hard. It's an 18-month program. You have to do all this stuff, all these requirements. can't have a life while you're doing it. But I said, yeah, but... You know, they teach you how to live your life without ever getting back into this situation. So I didn't listen to him. I, <laughs> I, I went through I went through with it. I did everything I could to get in. And once I got in, I realized they, they what they really did, but they have a ton of classes that in the treatment portion of they have a ton of classes. One of the some of the classes what I, I think I grasped the most out of those was I learned the coping skills that I never had. I never learned when I was growing up because when you grow up in the environment I did, when you have a good day, you you 
celebrate by drugs and alcohol. You have a bad day, you drown it out with drugs and alcohol. It's Friday, you drank and you party. It's Monday, you drink and you party. It's just that's the way of life. And and things go good, things go bad. The way you cope is with drugs and alcohol. And I never learned how to cope any other way than that. And the the treatment taught me that, and I'm forever thankful for that. And Ron, I, I kind of saw you nodding along with some of that, like some of the classes um, and, and just the skills that Steve learned. Do you want to jump in? Like, what was the experience like for you when you got into the court? Well, my life, my life had gotten so unmanageable uh, by the time I was arrested and entered into the uh, therapeutic court that it was uh, when I initially got in, I'll just be truthful. I, 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 did, I didn't want to do the six years. And, and that was the only reason why I got in. But then after about three months, my life had just gotten dramatically better. It, it was just, it, I was beginning to function. I was beginning to, my head was beginning to clear up. Uh, I was, I was, I was uh, developing relationships uh, with other individuals that were in the court, some that were further along. So uh, hearing their successes inspired and encouraged me that I had that to look forward to. So at the time when I got in therapeutic court and felt hopeless, I saw others uh, making, uh, achieving a lot of success. And so uh, all I wanted to do was hold on to that. And so uh, I just opened up and just listened to everything. And, and, and particularly in the treatment classes, uh, I just really paid attention to saw what applied to me. And, and then also uh, what was uh, profound for me was that when I was, went through the therapeutic court, I got a mental health assessment and I was diagnosed with anxiety. And I had no idea what anxiety was. I knew the feeling, but I didn't identify with anxiety. So all those all those years of, of using, like I said, I, when I first started using, it was just sociably, you know, to just be sociable. But then I found out I was medicating my anxiety. So uh, whenever that angst feeling would come on, I would just put something in me and it'd go away. And it just worked for you. Well, it worked until it didn't. But then uh, once I identified it, then, like Steve said, I developed uh, coping skills. And so I learned how to uh, treat the anxiety and manage the anxiety. And so uh, I just felt like I was winning. I felt finally like this is what I've been doing and why I've been doing it. And and I, I never knew why. And then once I figured out why I was, then I knew I could change it. And it hasn't been easy. And even 12 years clean sober now it's, it's it's still not necessarily easy but it's accomplishable and my life just continues to get better but you know uh, the anxiety and um and the overwhelming feelings and just life when life happens now i know how to deal with it when there's a death in a family there's health issues and all those things that come up for all of us i know how to deal with it and i also have built up a, a high level a, a large a network of support to be able to talk about those things. Last thing I'll say about this is that I grew up with the notion, I have five brothers and uh, and I grew up with the notion, men power through, you're tough, you don't cry, you're strong and you handle everything and, and, and you don't tell. I mean, and so uh, all none of that ever worked. And so I talk about things now and whenever I have those feelings, uh, I, I talk about it and I, I get out of my head and I just don't think about all those things that are going on and, and those things are being making me successful today. Judge Washington, you are nodding along like this all really resonates. I'd, I'd love to hear more from you, but you're on mute. Um, 
I do, I love hearing these stories and I love that all three of these gentlemen are involved in the alumni program because they can be face-to-face -face with our participants and be sort of that success. Like, you know, it's hard for me to say, hey, you can do it. It's not the same as having Ron say, you can do it. Look, I did it, I did it. And so the alumni program is so critical um, to the success of our programs for our participants to be able to get connected with other participants that have graduated and have been successful. And it, it really acts as another motivating incentive for our participants. And I, I did wanna say also, since um, James brought up that I had him incarcerated, it's one of the, the sanctions that we use in therapeutic courts, but we rarely use it because we really mostly celebrate all of the good behaviors and we try to provide lots of incentives for our participants to be successful. And so we're always applauding um, their success and good behavior. We're always excited about things that they do to be an advocate for themselves. We also applaud their pro-social behaviors. When they meet other people, they get in relationships with other people and they become more than just their treatment uh, process. They're more than their situation. And so we try to encourage that because when they get out of the program, we want them to have a village of people that's going to support them, um, that they're gonna have the tools to be successful. Like all three of these gentlemen have been successful. And, uh, and I'm really glad, I, I heard Juan say that he didn't even hear about the program initially. And we want everyone, um, our court is actually screening files when people are arraigned to see if we have any information that they would be eligible for uh, the mental health court, because it's a very liberal referral policy and so we want everyone to have an opportunity to come through this court if they are eligible um, for mental health court. And there's different eligibility requirements for both the therapeutic drug court as well as the mental health court. But um, one of the things that we do that I think is important to say, um, Anne, is that we do a level of um, uh, inventory, a level of service inventory on all of our participants to see what their strengths are and see what level of supervision they need and what kind of treatment that they need. And so we, we have make informed decisions about putting together a case plan that they have to work through. And it's not just go to treatment. It's not just go to group. Sometimes we have things for them to do, like um, um, they, maybe they have a child that they haven't been involved with and we put that on their case plan that they're gonna make contact with their child and make contact with their family members and sort of re-engage with people that have been supportive of them in the um, in their lives, and so we try to do a lot of things to support the entire process, um, not just their treatment issues, because they they're more than their treatment issue. I love Ron's story. He said he had a family, had a business. I mean, these these gentlemen were successful people, and then they had these situations that brought them into the criminal justice system. And the therapeutic courts did exactly what they're designed to do in their lives is help them, give them an opportunity. I always say we're just an opportunity to do better. And when people are given opportunities to do better and supported in those efforts, they can do better. And so we're very, very optimistic about um, the success rate. And 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 they we haven't said it, but they don't reoffend because that's one of the big things we're working on is trying to reduce recidivism. We want them to come through this process and say goodbye to the criminal justice system once and for all. And so that's what's working and it's been very successful. And the three gentlemen you have on this in this discussion with us today are examples of that success. 
They are very good examples of the success. Thank you. Thank you for highlighting that. Yeah, it reduces recidivism. That's, yeah. it, I mean, so it really, it doesn't just benefit the people who participate, but it benefits the entire community. And we want the community to know that, that we are, number one is that we're addressing public safety. And so that's why the treatment team has prosecutors, state and municipal prosecutors online. So their goal is to make sure and ensure um, public safety. And so it's not just someone that's coming in. We're looking at victims. We're contacting victims and complaining witnesses. And so everyone really gets involved um, in this process. Um, and that is why it's um, it's really successful. Um, at the end, the main goal is to reduce recidivism. And that's what, those are the numbers that the community is most excited about. And that is reducing recidivism. We give people an opportunity to get connected to services, um, um, get back into employment, get educations, and they are just living their lives like good citizens, like they are. They are good citizens, um, uh, but for their addiction issues that brought them to the criminal justice process. You've spoken a lot about rebuilding connections. And James, I would love to hear from you about what worked with you during this program and now afterwards in terms of rebuilding connections and helping support support your recovery. Well, I think I think the main thing for me was just to uh, I had to really come to the conclusion that you know I'm powerless over my addiction, you know, and I cannot be successful and live like that. So I chose to use the tools provided through the, you know therapeutic courts through my treatment, and uh, and then you know working my own program of Narcotics Anonymous uh, with a sponsor, working those twelve steps, and then really taking those steps and applying those steps and principles to my daily life. You know, so, you know, and turning things over, you know, because like, you know, Ron and Steve both said that I, it's a coping skill. It was my coping skill. That's how I coped with everything. You know, I have PTSD. I have anxiety. I have um, uh, adverse effects way from childhood. And that's where all my problems started. And and so once I was able to recognize that and identify with that, it was I was able to, to move forward. And, and you know, I, uh, I've been able to repair all the relationships with my kids. I have my 19-year-old living at home with me um, and just really being that father figure for him and, and helping him guide him in his path. That's huge, repairing all of your relationships with your kids. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Can you talk a, I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and how yeah. you learned to do that? Yeah, it was just really, you know, just really trying to be a better person, you know, and be there for them and, and uh, you know, listen to them and, and, and be compassionate and empathetic and, and, and you know, help them be solution-based. You know, how, how are we going to solve this? You know, my my daughter just recently went through a DUI down in Texas, and, and she she's able to open up to me about that and, and just say, hey, you know, this is what's going on, you know, how, you know, so I was able to guide her in a direction to, you know, help her come up the resolution for that, you know, um, so stuff like that. the skills you learned in therapeutic court are actually affecting generations. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. They really are. That's that's inspiring. And on that inspiring note, we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more of Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. People who smoke or have smoking-related conditions like lung and heart disease are more likely to get seriously ill from COVID-19. Not using any tobacco or e-cigarette products is one of the best ways to keep your immune system strong, ready to fight all kinds of viruses. 
If you decide to quit, help is available. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or text READY to 200-400 to get the support you need to quit for good. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. Today we're discussing Alaska's therapeutic court system and how it's helping people and the entire community by reducing recidivism and helping folks heal. We invite all of you to call and join this conversation, share your own recovery stories, talk about or ask questions about the court system and how it really works. Our number is 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. 8255. You can also email us at talk at alaskapublic.org. And we were just talking to James before the break about how he's repaired a lot of his relationships and, and repaired his relationship with his kids. You're doing a lot of other things at this point in your life, too, to help others heal. Can you talk about what you're up to now, James? Yeah. So I, I went on after uh, graduating uh, therapeutic courts and I got some certifications. Uh, I'm a peer support specialist. I'm a PSP1 for the state of Alaska. Um, I work for Set Free Alaska out in the Valley, which we are a faith-based um, treatment facility. Um, and I work a lot with outpatient uh, clients, just uh, helping them and guide them along their path of recovery, you know, um, so they can be successful. I work with a lot of therapeutic participants out in Palmer area. Um, so I, I still kind of have a foot in that that aspect of life, you know, just really guiding them and using my lived experience of what I went through with the therapeutic courts to help them be successful in their program. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, why is it so important that you're using your lived experience to help others? Well, because because addicts, as addicts and alcoholics and stuff, we don't trust people. We, the, the trust is gone. The addiction strips you from from, from that, and uh, so it's easier to relate to somebody that has been there and understands exactly what you're going through and to help build that trust and build that rapport. And, you know, and it's just, that's just super important. You know, that you can't learn this stuff out of a book, you know? So, I mean, I mean, for somebody that's never been an addict would know what it's like to be an addict uh, versus somebody that's, that's lived it, went through it and now is being successful. Um, it's a little bit of a difference. That makes sense. Ron, you're pretty key in starting the Therapeutic Court Alumni Association. I was wondering if you could tell us more about like what the Alumni Association is and does and what role you play in people's lives. Well, initially, uh, getting about three months away from graduation, I knew that I was going to need some structure. I was going to need something that was going to, uh, once the oversight of the courts had left, I knew I was going to need something that was going to keep me accountable. So I started attending the, uh, the, the alumni group. Uh, which was actually started in 2006. And so right about that time, the hearing graduates uh, talking about their experiences after the court, the racing of the mind and some of the, uh, the, the, the anxiety they were experiencing made me understand that I was just going through that 
portion of my recovery. And so uh, to just kind of bear with it, I was where I needed to be. So after that, it it would just, um, this may sound kind of crazy, but, you know, uh, after all those years of living that lifestyle, I, I, I don't regret it. I wouldn't choose to go that way again or, or advise anyone else to, but I don't regret it because it shaped me into the person I am today and has made me, uh, those experiences allow me to help countless others. And so uh, with the alumni, with the alumni group now, it's just uh, that continued support for those people that are coming through, because I remember that broken feeling uh, when you get an arrest, you're just getting in the program, that hopeless feeling. And um, I don't know, it's just something about helping people. Yeah, uh, that's, that's just, uh, I, I get no bigger joy. And, and as a Christian, that's just how I serve. And so I just have dedicated my life to helping others. And, and one other quick thing is that like James was talking about I, when, when I sat down with my kids and I finally got myself together, uh, step one in MRT, it made me look at how my behavior, uh, impacted my family and, what, and selfishly, I never thought about that. Before. What's MRT? And that's, and um, that. Uh, moral recognition therapy. It's a 12. It's a, it's a, it's one of the programs they have in, in therapeutic court. Okay, cool. And, and it let it. And so it, it made me take a look at my actions and how I impacted my family and my kids. And so I made amends to my kids and told them, I, you know, I really apologized about not being there for them at the time they needed their dad the most, but I promised them I would spend the rest of my life, life helping others. And, uh, and they accepted that. And, and that's what I've been doing. So the alumni offer, it gives us that platform to continue helping people uh, that have, sh- have been on that same shared journey. And I do, and I appreciate Ron saying that because it is true when you have lived experiences, um, you, you do want to get back naturally. You want to get back when you know other people can be just as successful. And um, I'd like to share that years ago, um, back in, in school, one of my best friends from eighth grade um, who was living her normal life right alongside of me, she had uh, a mental health episode, probably in her late 20s. And it was very new to all of us. Like her family, my family, all of her friends, nobody really knew what to do. But in just a flash of a moment, that mental health issue, uh, her getting diagnosed with bipolar, having to take medication, never really being fully persuaded that she needed to take um, um, medication. And she literally came into the criminal justice system. Like she committed a crime at the airport and she got arrested and it just kept getting more and more aggravated. And and we didn't know what to do. She was eventually admitted into API. Um, Her husband had her admitted there and her family, we all were like trying to figure out what to do. And I remember being very, very young. I had gone off to college I kept in touch with her, but I was so happy secretly that she had moved away from Alaska because I kept thinking, I didn't really know what to do as a friend. You know, we think we need to fix people or we think, we what can we do? And when we realize we can't do anything, instead of leaning into the person and just being in their space, we tend to back up from the people. And that's why when people come into the therapeutic court, they're almost, you know, they've been kicked off the island already and they, their village, they are, they've been kicked out of the village already. And it's because a lot of family members don't know what to do and they feel unsupported. And so um, my best friend, she had a couple of criminal matters. Um, they got resolved. She lived a pretty stable life, taking her medication. But um, unfortunately, um, suicide did take her life. And so that impacted me. Um, and so as a, um, even I participated in therapeutic court as an attorney. And of course, I was grateful for the opportunity to participate in the therapeutic court as a judge. 
And so it really is a personal um, interest for me to give people opportunities, educate their families, educate their friends. Um, and, and in fact, I tell participants all the time, invite your friends to court. Anytime they show up in court with someone, I introduce myself, I have them introduce themselves because we want them to know that it's, they, they don't have to walk alone, that there are people in their lives that they can count on and be supported by. And so, um, and so that's, and I think Judge, um, Judge Rhodes who started this court, she had a personal story about having some uh, relative that was involved um, with mental health issues. And so a lot of people have personal stories that bring us into this work. Um, and, um, and I want the community to know that a lot of times you, you don't know what to do, but there are resources and there are programs that can help educate families that are supporting people with mental illnesses. There are support groups for, uh, for families who are supporting someone with addictions. And so, cause we know that whatever our participants are doing, we know it has an impact on the people that love them and the people that are in their lives. And so the community, we want the community to know, hey, they're just regular successful people that are having to deal with these issues and they can be supported. Even if you can't fix them, they still can be supported by you applauding them and, and trying to encourage them and, and be involved in their lives and don't alienate, don't alienate or isolate that participant who really does need your support. That is such a powerful reminder. And for folks who are looking for support groups out there, um, NAMI Alaska has support for families, um, has support for people who are who have mental health challenges. Um, Google NAMI, N-A-M-I, Alaska. Um, there's chapters across the state. There's You can also always call support lines, like there's the Caroline Alaska. Just if you just want to talk stuff through, they're there to listen. It's not necessarily a suicide prevention line so much as a let me listen and help you deal with stuff line. Um, so that I just toss in those reminders. Sorry, Steve, I'd love for you to add to this conversation. Yeah, the, the reason, well, the way I met Ron was he was facilitating. There's the Alaska Therapeutic Court alumni has a, they run a peer support group that the participants are required to attend when they first get into the treatment court. And when you're in phase one, it's, see, typically if you're in a DUI court, it's an 18-month program. You have three phases, phase one, two, and three. In phase one, you're required to go to the peer support group once a week, phase two, twice a month, and phase three, once a month. And Ron was facilitating these groups. And these groups are, they're peer support groups for the people going through therapeutic court, could be DUI, could be China court, the family court, could be drug court, veterans court, whoever goes to these. The way they work is Ron, who is a graduate or whoever is facilitating is a graduate of the court. And they are there to help participants in therapeutic court navigate through life, not, not just through the court that they're going through, but through life, because they're, they're getting a lot of things thrown out when you first get into therapeutic court. There are a lot of requirements and for, for somebody who's new into it, it's really helpful for them to get into a, a peer support group and to see somebody who's either a graduate or who's nearly graduating and realize that, hey, maybe I can do this stuff too. Because it, it, there are a lot of requirements. It's very difficult. And the beauty of these peer support groups are everybody, and 
I tell people, and I used to facilitate these groups. I tell I tell people when they get in here, I said, hey, we all have a shared experience here. Don't feel bad about what you're done. We're here to better our lives and we're here to help you get through it. So if you have any questions, ask anybody here and and we, we, everybody will try to help you. And it creates connection. It creates community. And if you continue with with that, uh, it, after you graduate, you, you have a you have a tool to keep you from you know going back to the life that you lived before. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'd love to go to the phones now. We have on the phone Alapuk calling from Manakotic. Welcome to Talk of Alaska. Thank you. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Okay. Um, it seems that there isn't any ladies being helped with their credit cards. We did the elders under KCE did sign a resolution to get a therapeutic court judge. One of the elders in Manakota, Narola Cultural, a cultural heritage for um, for the children to learn about their culture. Because even in Hawaii, when you teach your children your own culture, they come out um, healthy and not get into all kinds of um, other foreign stuff that we've been exposed to. And I was wondering how come. It seems that there is no therapeutic card for any of the natives. Um, Judge Washington? Well, actually, we do have therapeutic courts um, for our native communities. And of course, they are involved in, in all of our therapeutic courts. Um, but particularly, we have one in Kenai, uh, the Kenaisi Court. Um, one of the tribes in Kenai, they actually do run a therapeutic court in Kenai that's specifically um, uh, tribal-based and focused. But all of our courts um, are open to um, all of our communities, no matter where you're from. But I do understand having that cultural connection, um, recognizing that everyone's backgrounds and things are very different. And so we are sensitive to that. And that's why we're always asking our participants to um, you know, invite us to whatever village they're in and their support groups, and we try to support that. But all of the courts are open to our Native community, and we have a Native a specific um, therapeutic court in uh, Bethel and one in Kenai um, that is um, specifically addresses or, or has a participants of our tribal communities. Kenai and, and in uh, Bethel. Okay, great. And James, would you like to add to this? Oh, yeah, I was just going to add to that. When I was a facilitator for the AKTCA, I actually, one of the groups that I facilitated, I had uh, three participants from Bethel that called in on a regular basis. Um, so it was really amazing. Mm -hmm. right. And I mean, we would, we would love to have therapeutic courts all over the state. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, it's all really always about funding, but for judges, it's really voluntary. It doesn't, I still have my regular court calendar. I still, I'm in the middle of a jury trial right now. And so we all have our own regular court responsibilities, but we have judges that volunteer for therapeutic courts. Myself, um, on our mental health court here, we also have judge Michael Logue here in our uh, mental health court. Judge Wallace, um, David Wallace is over our veterans therapeutic court. 
Um, and then of course we have the um, drug court that I believe uh, Judge Easter um, is involved with. I believe Judge Nesbitt is involved with it as well as Judge Logue um, and, and Judge Morris. And so we have a lot of judges that are volunteering to do these therapeutic courts. And so um, we, we can try to get them up and running in every community that we can. It's just that we have to have providers. Um, when people come into the court, we always say, can we get them connected to services? That's one of the things that really becomes a barrier. If someone has a need uh, and we can't connect them to services, for example, some long-term high drug assessment that requires you to have um, treatment that's more than six months or nine months, we, we don't even have that level of services here. Um, in the Anchorage area. And so people would have to go out of state for some of the kinds of levels uh, of treatments that they will need. But, um, but, but we, we love, we're working with the, um, with the Mental Health Trust. Um, they're coming up with the Crisis Now program. I think I spoke with you, Anne, to see if you guys are gonna have someone talk about the Crisis Now model, um, trying to get a little bit more um, connectedness to services mm -hmm. so we can do more intervention of people stopping them from coming into the criminal justice system, not just the mental health court. Um, process with one of those um, um, one of those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we actually did a program about the Crisis Now model back in January. Um, but also something people should check out. You can go to the Mental Health Trust Authority website. They've got a lot of good information on Crisis Now. Um, we've got a couple stories on the mobile crisis teams as well. Um, we're going to take another quick break, and then we will be back with more Talk of Alaska talking about the therapeutic court system. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. NEA Alaska is a professional education association representing over 11,000 of Alaska's dedicated public school employees. NEA Alaska members are united in their commitment to provide an excellent education for every student, regardless of background or zip code. Together, NEA Alaska members work with colleagues, parents, and their communities to build strong public schools that are productive, safe, and welcoming to all. Learn more at NEAalaska.org and help NEA Alaska reach, teach, and inspire all Alaska students. This message sponsored by NEA Alaska. Alaska's unique approach to mental health funding is improving the lives of Alaskans who experience behavioral health conditions and developmental disabilities. The Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority has a responsibility to generate revenue from its 1 million acres of land and the resources they contain. The trust uses this revenue to help fund statewide programs and initiatives that positively impact trust beneficiaries. To learn more, visit alaskamentalhealthtrust.org. This message sponsored by the Alaska Mental Health Trust. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I'm your guest host, Ann Hellman, and today we are talking about the therapeutic court system. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. You can also reach us in Anchorage at 907-550-8422. Um, we did have someone uh, who called in and is asking anonymously if the therapeutic courts are available in Kodiak, and if so, why wasn't his daughter made aware of them when she was dealing with the court system recently? Judge Washington? Um, I think that, um, I don't think we have one in Kodiak, but we do have opportunities where people can have their cases transferred to a community that does have a therapeutic court. So we do get transfers um, occasionally, like from Fairbanks or other jurisdictions where people need services and someone is recommending that they transfer their cases to areas where we can connect them to services. And so um, it, it is available. 
Um, in some courts, um, we, we try to educate the public defender system, the state agencies. It's a liberal referral service. And so anyone could recommend someone to consider therapeutic court, but there we have eligibility criteria. So not everyone is eligible for the court. And so um, uh, we have to have a SMI, a serious mental illness. And so they can't just have regular depression or just some, you know, it, it depends on what kind of diagnosis they have. It depends on what, whether they're connected to services and can be connected to services it also is whether or not we can get housing for defendants. We we try to get people connected to housing services and we do a lot of things. So not everyone is eligible for the court. And so it could be a situation where someone wasn't eligible. There are lots of people that say, hey, my person, they wanna do mental health court, but they don't have a mental health diagnosis. We, we may send them out for an assessment and they still don't have a mental health diagnosis. Sometimes, a lot of times people come into the system and they are having drug induced psychosis. And so it may not be a full uh, mental health diagnosis. And so it's not all people are, are eligible for the court. And so um, to, so to that caller, um, I would say just ask. If you know someone that's in the criminal justice system right now, tell them to ask their attorney about whether or not they're eligible for therapeutic courts. You know, I know we've had somebody from Kodiak come into the drug court and how they get how they got into it. I really don't know, but they they did get housing help when they were here, and they're they're quite successful. That's good to know. Um, I'd like to invite our next caller online. That's Mark from calling from Kenai. Mark, welcome to Talk of Alaska. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, calling mostly to kind of follow up on what the previous um, speaker um, addressed. Uh, I. I've been aware of the Kenai court for quite some time, but but uh, I I'm not sure what the best and most expedient way of, of getting people involved uh, in this is. And it it sounds like going through the court system and that um, person's either a, a defensive attorney or or maybe prosecutor. Um, uh, can can bring the individuals into the, the program. And that is that is a good point. Um, I did want to say that even though one of the barriers or one of the main things that has to happen when we're trying to decide if someone is eligible for the court is we look at public safety. We look at public safety. And so if we cannot ensure public safety while the person is doing these things, they would not be eligible for the court. And the prosecutor, um, they're the ones that look at a case, they speak with complaining witnesses and victims and prior criminal histories and the kinds of conduct um, that, um, that the person has been involved in. And so sometimes it's just pure public safety reasons that we cannot accept the person into one of the therapeutic courts. You know, part of what Ron and I are doing, you know, as peer support coordinators, these are very new positions. These are these positions just started last October. And part of what Ron and I are doing, we're trying to go around and educate different uh, communities about therapeutic court and about alumni groups, peer support, and, you know, tell people that this is an option, you know, because not, not everybody's aware of it. And, yeah. and so, so part of what we do is we try to educate people about this. So get the word out because not you know, 
and and we have a lot of different uh, ideas and how to do it but we're we're just starting at this so we have a long way to go right and we do have therapeutic courts in juno in palmer in anchorage fairbanks bethel and kenai and we are also exploring the therapeutic court right now for sitka and so if someone is in a community that is not listed here, it's possible if we can connect that person to services that their case could be transferred to one of these jurisdictions. And Ron, you've been, you've been working with the Alumni Association for a really long time. I was wondering if you could maybe help people kind of understand the differences between the courts. Well, the, the traditional court, uh, it, it seemed to be more punitive to me. And it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was my behaviors, it was my actions that got me in the court and there's consequences. Uh, so, I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's just, just, just the way it is. And so, but, um, but the therapeutic court, uh, just like Judge Washington said earlier, you know, you, you get the applause, you get the encouragement, you get, you get to build a relationship with your PO, you get to have a, a, a rapport with the judge and, and it just makes you feel good about yourself. And, you know, and, and the judges, they, they just have a way of, 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 of speaking to you that lifts you up opposed to um, maybe browbeating you for the things that you did wrong. So it was just a different dynamic and uh, it was very successful. Mm-hmm. And, and not to mention that uh, through the therapeutic courts is, uh, cost effective. It's uh, it, it used to be a sixth a sixth of the cost of incarcerating somebody, and then as long like Judge Watch was saying, as long as you're a nonviolent offender and and not a threat to the community, you get that opportunity to, to do the therapeutic court, and then um, and and it's so and then the other wraparound services like ch- uh, children's services, and the other caseloads that 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 uh, expand when you have uh, dysfunctional households. All that's decreased, and 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 it lowers the recidivism. So it's it's really just a win-win all the way around. Well, thank you all very very much for all of your explanations. I hope that people are now interested in learning a bit more about the therapeutic court system. Thanks to everyone who called in and, and who's listening. Um, our guests today were Ron Wilson. Steve Corbin, and James Huffstetler, all with the Alaska Therapeutic Court Alumni Association, and Pamela Washington, who is a judge presiding over the Mental Health Court. Producer is Adeline Baxter. Tobin Shelby is the audio engineer. And I'm your guest host, Ann Hillman. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Alaska Public Media.